Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 2 of Infernal Contraptions. Before we start the podcast, I just wanted to say that if anybody wishes to partake in this and you have something to say about old bikes, new bikes, special bikes or your world of motorcycling, um, particularly in Guernsey, please feel free to get in touch with me uh, via my email address tim.loveridge at gmail.com. So having said that, in this episode, Phil and I discuss the thorny subject of patina. Enjoy. So today we're back. I'm back with Phil, and um, we're back at the oily rag. Um, there's a curious tractor in the middle of the room, um, but that's kind of the nature of the oily rag. Is there's always something curious in the middle of the room and around the edges. Um, but today, what we wanted to do was talk about patina because I think it's quite um, an evocative thing to talk about. It's certainly, uh, and everybody's got different ideas of what that means. And the reason I wanted to talk about patina is because I've always, I've always been around motorbikes all my life, um, and I love them to bits, but it's only fairly recently I've started restoring them or, or making them better than when I found them, which is interesting. That's probably something to talk about as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, Phil's nodding. <laughs> and, um, and I guess this, this journey for me started during lockdown um, when I'd already committed to buying an old Lambretta, uh, which had an interesting history. It didn't need to be restored back to how an original Lambretta was, and that was never the intention, but I wanted to restore it back to how it was when it was famous, because it had quite an interesting heritage, uh, uh, provenance. And so that's what I did, and, uh, and actually, during, because we had lockdown and we had lots of time on our hands, I ended up restoring it twice, because the first time I did it, I was going, mm, I don't know if that's good enough standard, I'm going to take it apart and I'm going to do it again. But then I, by the time I got to the end of it, it was in lovely condition. I mean, immaculate condition. And so many of the parts on it were new, really. And then I kind of, I thought, well, why did I just not go out and buy a new bike? What, what, what have I done to this thing that had a, a history and now I've, I've created to all intents and purposes a new bike with it? So, so I, it, was a, it was lovely. Um, I sold it to somebody who loves it. And, uh, and that was quite a successful part of the journey, I guess. Um, but I came away thinking, oh, that's, that's too shiny, that's too new for me now. And so the second part of the journey, and something that I'm internally grateful to Phil for, is, is that I wanted to buy a motorcycle, I wanted a certain type of bike, and I was hunting around and we were trying out and riding all these different bikes. And typical contrarian that I am, I went out and bought something not British, even though I sit in a very British-dominated environment here. I went out and bought a BMW R60-6, which is... In lovely condition, uh, bought it from the UK, shipped it down to Guernsey. We can talk about that probably in another episode. Um, and I've, it's been here, and we've started to strip it down. Um, and we, I guess what we're doing is a just a nice restoration, just a conscientious, I don't know, there's probably the proper words for it, but there's a, a, a sympathetic restoration, I think. And, and so some of the bits that clearly you've got rust on, I, I want to take the rust away so it doesn't eat into it anymore. Um, other things, um, bearings, seals and stuff like that, I want to replace that. And oil leaks, Phil is much more tolerant about oil leaks than I am, but I don't want my BMW motorcycle, which I'm going to be using as a, a daily rider, hopefully next year. Um, I want it to be oil tight as much as is reasonable, and I want to use it. So that's kind of the plan. So we're, we're entering into this sympathetic restoration of an old BMW. But Phil and I as we spend more time down at this, the, the oily rag place, we talk about this quite a lot, and I thought it'd be worth uh, recording this for the sake of our podcast, uh, because I've only been doing this for a while. I've been, you know, five years max, I've been restoring rather than fixing bikes, probably more like three and a half years, whereas Phil has been doing it all his life. He's always had oily rag bikes, which, 
Yeah, and then oily rag bikes, like the ones we rode yesterday, which are just incredibly... Um, that was the... Um, yeah, oily. Yes. Yeah. The lower end of the scale. <laughs> the so, so anyway, so, so without me stopping wittering on, I want to talk to Phil. So, Phil, talk to me about your interpretation oily, of patina. Oily rag. patina. Yeah, well, the oily rag name is, is what it is because there is a, a school of thought that says leave the uh, character that's developed on bikes over over their lifetime as it is and uh, wipe it with an oily rag which is what the old boys used to do um, just to keep the rust at bay as you were talking about so there there are other ways of keeping rust at bay um, than uh, repainting but I, I, um, I mean, this place is delicious um, and if you clean a bike up it stays clean but I don't come from that background I come from a greenhouse that had some corrugated asbestos on it and every time I did something that I thought was smart um, you go back into it a month or two later and it would be dripping with condensation if the weather had warmed up and, and everything was kind of deteriorating before your eyes so, so I, I can see now that if you've got the right environment to store a bike that it's, it's I, I can do shiny but uh, I couldn't in the past, and in the end I just gave up and went for the oily rag approach. So I was protecting the vehicles that I had, but um, and enjoying the engineering part of it, uh, but not not um, getting all worked up about spending a load of money on paint and chrome and that sort of thing, when I knew that it was just going to be um, ruined. And like Tim, I, I I've always ridden bikes, and I. Um, never afraid to take the shiniest bike out of here in the rain and not worry about it as other people wouldn't entertain even getting them wet when they're in good nick but but I uh, I don't I don't um, go down that road always just ride it if I fancy a ride just go on it and live with the consequences the upside being now that you bring a bike back and it's all wet okay it's a bit dirtier than it was but it comes back into a um, a centrally heated room, it dries off and then it doesn't continue to deteriorate. Um, so, uh, again, my conscience is eased on that front. So, I mean, what, yeah, I mean, that's the background. Yeah, because I, I look at some of the bikes that I've been fortunate enough to ride um, since I've gotten to know you. And, and there's some interesting ones. So, so um, I've ridden two Nortons. Uh, one of them, no, no, I haven't ridden the Dunstan Norton. I've, I've lost it after it, but I haven't ridden it. I've managed to start it, which I was quite pleased about. But obviously, after about 30 attempts and being absolutely shattered by the end of it. <laughs> uh, but that's a proper restoration. That's in a beautiful condition. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's what I re- refer to as a, a sympathetic but shiny, nice restoration of something that's got some very interesting history, the whole you know, Paul Dunstall thing mm-hmm. and stuff. And then you've got another Norton 850 Commando, um, which is looks like it's never never been touched. I mean, I know you touched the internals, but the outside of it looks like it's it's just been allowed to slowly decay over time, really, to to create a patina. And the other one I think is is the Bonneville. So there's an interesting Bonneville, isn't there? That's what year is that? What's the Bonneville? 68. 68. The Commando 70. The, the, old, the, um, the decaying one, as you put it, is a bit like old people, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, we, are, we, are we decaying or are we uh, becoming more distinguished? And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we've got the patina of life all over us. 
So, I mean, I, I would say that it, yes, it's decayed in some of its surface finishes, but the thing about that, that Commander, the, the 850, is that it, it hasn't been messed about with other than, other than things that were necessary to do to it. And a few things were, were broken on it, which I'm, I have fixed, and I'm still going on at the moment to fix a few more. But it, it is what it is, and, and um, its character is something that's developed since, since, it was, since it was built. Now, if you take it all apart and you make it shiny again, and um, you, you, to my mind, you lose s some of the character that, that has built up over the years. And it becomes more and more difficult to find um, unrestored bikes. That, that Norton is, is a one-owner bike. The fellow died in um, 1994, and uh, it sat in a farm outbuilding until I, I bought it from his sister. And um, it was in pretty poor shape, but managed to get everything running as, as best as best I could at the time. Then I took it back to, to Wales, where I bought it from, and show, showed this lady the bike. And she was thrilled that it was still looked the same, like her brother had had it, and, and it was running again. I mean, obviously, there's still more things to do to it, brakes, clutch, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I'll tick those mechanical items off. But I'm not going to restore it. And if you if you said find another one that's one owner with about twelve fifteen thousand miles on it, uh, you're really going to struggle for old bikes now. And uh, who really wants to buy or invest their time in correcting somebody else's restoration? Cause yeah, because that's an interesting. The, the other thing, the correcting somebody else's restoration, is really interesting as well because. As I go through, so I've been watching videos on on how to restore the BMW, and um, and I've become a bit of a purist. So I'm watching BMW engineers and how they make the, how they would have constructed a bike, and how they would have put you know uh, conical bearings or tapered bearings is interesting because that seems to be a, a theme running through the BMW. Where what I wanted, to, I don't, I know that I could probably replace replace the bearings on the wheels with normal ball race bearings, but I don't want to do that because that's not how they were built. I want to put the bike yeah. to something, so certainly the, the seals and the, and the bearings, back to the, the standard and quality that would have been yeah. used by the BMW engineers. But yeah, and then you can work out whether it was worth somebody else upgrading or not. Well, exactly, yeah. Not. Upgrade, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm the same. I, I always try and go back to standard if I'm fixing something that, that's been modified, just to see what it was that inspired them to, to, to make that change. I've got a Vincent upstairs that's got um, an alternator on it rather than a dynamo, and Mark II Amel carbs on it instead of the original 276s, two, two and, and so on. So, I, I've been, I started putting it all, I had all the original bits with it started putting it back together just to see what it was that was so bad about the carb and the dynamo and it had um, it also had its magneto taken off and it had been converted to coil ignition well if all those things are functioning correctly and, and were acceptable in 1949 I wanted to know how, how bad they really were because I'll still have the bits to convert it back to the upgrade if necessary but I actually don't believe that that a lot of those mods are are necessary, and they they detract from the enjoyment of the bike. Just just get the original kit 
right on the bike and set it up properly and I think you'll I'd be surprised if I find that back to standard specs set up right and that Vincent isn't lovely to ride. Do you think it's um, something to do with, I mean because we live in the world of the internet now where we can actually get something, either the original parts or something very close to the original parts, relatively easily. I mean, there's some fantastic companies yeah, in the UK. Yeah, I think that helps. Whereas, because, you, know, you know, back when the Vincent, so somebody yeah. maybe said, that's the only car I've got here, I can't get another one, I need to put it yeah, on because yeah. the other one's no, full is, of... That is a fair, yeah. fair point, because there was a time when you used to have to have carbs re-sleeved and refurbished at great expense. If you didn't have the original, they would have cost you an arm and a leg for a pair of Vincent carbs, and, and so on. Now, nowadays, you can buy new two seven sixes. I think that's the right number. Yeah, it's Amol carbs, isn't it? Yeah, and Amol's a wonderful online yeah resource. Um, dynamos are much more easily repaired than they used to be, and, and so on. The, the mag K, KVF magnetos with, <laughs> with a with a whatever it is a forty seven and a half degree um, whatever whatever the V twin is, I can't quite remember. But anyway, the mag is designed to fire at north and south poles or something like that. So if you try and get a mag to fire, um, whatever it is, I think it's half the difference, 25 degrees or thereabouts off the dwell on the mag. Ah, oh, I see, okay. You right. inevitably get a weaker spark. So I can understand how converting to coil ignition deals with equal strength of sparks. And, you know, that might well be a justified change, but I want to make sure that I've got a weak spark on one on the rear cylinder, I think it is, before I understand that it really was quite a good idea to convert to coil ignition. Because you can't change the way a magneto works. It only ever fires at maximum dwell, or should only fire at maximum dwell. So. I mean, ignition is very interesting as well, isn't it? I mean, so the, the beamer I've got is being converted to electronic ignition. So there's no points anymore. Oh, I don't know yet. I haven't taken the front casing off to see whether the points are still there, just disconnected. I don't know. We'll find out. But um, yeah, I think electronic ignition is is fine because you're coiled anyway. Yeah, that's right. So it's it just, just gets rid of the mechanical parts, yeah. which are which wear anyway. Wear don't they? Yeah, sloppy. But you know, magneto is designed designed differently, and it, you, you can't make a magneto fire at maximum dwell at 25 degrees past past the north pole. <laughs> If I think I've got, I think I might have got that right. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So patina is very. It's, it's. I mean, I quite like being seen as the bloke who rides those scruffy bikes. I suppose. Yeah. It's like a bit yeah. of an inverse snobbery, and people. If you go to a smart, if you go to a bike meet of some sort, and you've got a really scruffy bike, and all the others are lovely and shiny, you inevitably find people kind of drawn to the. To the scruffy bike, and they got this. They come and they say, "Are you going to do that up, or what's what's you know?" And well, they look yeah. at it, and it's yeah. kind of more interesting that it, it hasn't been done up because so many have been, and people don't people don't like to come out on them unless they're proper shiny and properly finished and that. Whereas, as Tim knows now, I'll, I'll ride anything on the street. Yeah, he's definitely ride anything. Like as we found <coughs> out yesterday when we were out, no brakes. We even ride it without fuel. Yeah, eh? so. we had no fuel yet. So we ran out. I was riding a Grieve Scottish. Trial, trials bike yesterday with Phil and uh, that ran out of petrol so we had to go and get his electric van and bring back some juice but the um, the patina though on yeah. those two bikes is, is, is quite interesting because one, one has been sort of attacked in its, in its past life the Greaves and its wheel rims I think the wheel rims might almost be rusted through um, 
and, and they were overpainted when I bought them. And you know, there comes a point where it becomes dangerous and you, you should fix it. Um, the Francis Barnett's got virtually no paint on its wheel rims, but they're in sound condition. When they were painted originally, they were never yeah. chrome. So. There's no paint anywhere on the Francis Barnett. Well, it's always no, brown, whatever painted really, it. No. Yeah. no, but it all functions. It does. Even without a battery, it had all its lighting function. And uh, I, somebody needs to love it to make sure it's mechanically better. It needs new forks. and The, wheel, the rear wheel needs to be in the middle. Yeah. Would be good. Yeah, it does. It does. It's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then that, that, the amazing thing about the Francis Barnet is you, you wheel this thing out, and I mean, it looks like it's been pulled off a tip. But when we talked about this a bit yesterday, it's Imagine about the, the life. Style, yeah. One stage up from the tip. <laughs> but you, you kind of, we, you know, fiddle with the, no, that was the, um, the grease, but you, you fiddle around with it a little bit, make sure the petrol's flowing, make sure it gets air. And you kick the damn thing over and it starts. And you're thinking, well, when was the last time you started it? Actually, it was in that one, the Franz Bar, it was in the first lockdown. Because I, I did a little YouTube video for it. But the Greaves is a long, long time. It's, it's ten or more years. And that Greaves was running beautifully yesterday. It just I mean, just fantastic, away, yeah. yeah. And it's such a nice bike to ride <clears> as well. The thing about both bikes is that, well, the Greaves had, a, had a, an external coil conversion I put on thanks to Reuter Jersey, um, where you take the primary, the coil that's in the side of the engine, you, you change the windings on it, and then you put it to a, a remote coil that's under the tank. And the reason for that is because the one on the side of the engine gets really hot and tends to let you down when you're trials riding. The one under the tank, of course, stays in the airflow and it is, um, gives you reliability. So the, the, the points on the firing system on the Greaves has been up, upgraded. The one on the Francis Barnet, despite Tim's view of it having come off a tip, um, the engine was entirely rebuilt. It's a completely new engine inside. Now, I, I agree, it looks like it's come off a tip, but mechanically, everything is pretty good on that, except for the rear wheel and the sort of half-inch play in the fork bushes. Yeah, yeah the front. That's, that's interesting. Fork bushes, I don't know if they're there anymore. But I don't they, think um, they are. <laughs> Yeah, but also it's the perishables, eh? it's the rubber bits. I've noticed that the BMWs, you go through, rubber doesn't last as long as metal, so I tended to go through and order new rubber bits as well as, well, I suppose it seals as well. Mm. But just wanted to go back to the, you were talking about the, how it attracts attention if you ride a really old bike with yeah. the original Cena. Because we went yeah. down to the Green Man, didn't we, a month and a half yeah. ago, yeah. and just a ride out from here, and there's lots of interesting bikes. And you chose, of all the bikes you could have chose, you chose a Suzuki A100. A100, yeah. And, uh, which is very original. So very, so still got very much the original routine. It smokes like a, I don't know, a, an old chimney. And, uh, and this thing turned up, you know, so we all had different bikes. And I was lucky enough that I had a lovely Veloset I was riding, so a racing Veloset. And, um, but nobody was interested in that. They were all actually on all these. So just to, um, I need to explain the Green Man. Green Man is uh, a motorcycle club in Guernsey. It attracts a lot of attention because I guess we're all stuck on a small rock. So we've got lots of time on our hands, I guess. Mm. And also uh, this fascination for old motorcycles. And so there, there's any number of beautiful, beautifully restored motorbikes, uh, Kawasaki KHs and 
um, lovely old Suzuki's, you know, from kettles and things like that. And also, you know, you think, oh, beautiful engineering. Not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but you've got to take your hat off to the skill of some of the people down. I mean, absolutely glorious stuff. And and when they turn up at the Green Man, because we all like to, we're peacocks, right? We like to show off our stuff. And, in, and I was interested in Dakar bikes, and you're thinking, well, why would anybody have a proper Dakar bike in Guernsey? But there are two of them that turned up with a green man. You're thinking, okay, there's proper kosher Dakar bike. Mm-hmm. Yes, that next. So 100 and, 150 bikes, very, very interesting bikes, Harleys, Ducatis, you know, uh, the very latest Panigales, um, all that type of stuff. And then you've got the old bikes as well, the old Nortons and the old Triumphs and things, and older. And then Phil turns up, and they're fizzies as well, so beautifully restored fizzies, um, like, and like the day they came out of the showroom. Phil turns up with everybody else on this smoking two-stroke and just parked it, and it just created so much attention. And you're thinking, well, why is that bike that looks like a... It's interesting, a, isn't yeah. it? And I had, I had an offer to, to buy it almost, when somebody wanted to buy it almost straight away, because, because they wanted to restore it. Yeah. Which is really, it's a really strange thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like somebody spotted an unrestored one. Um, can I see if I can buy it? And actually, I mean, that bike, it was a 1969 800, and it was my friend um, Jeff Nichols from school. We all had bikes at 14. I've got an 800, still got it from when I was 14. That was his bike, and another friend had a ASS 100, um, and uh, that was our thing. And that, I know the history of that bike since since I was a youth, which is what fifty years ago nearly now. And I know everything that he did to it. I know I know its history, and I know why it looks like it does. And to me, it's got it's got a terrific amount of character. Yes, it does smoke a bit. It does smoke a bit, yeah. But it has done from the best. It's sneaking up towards forty thousand miles on its original crankshaft, and and uh, it's just a remarkable. A remarkable bike, and if you if you restored it, it would cost you an absolute fortune. You'd be wasting your money financially, yeah. and it would look lovely, and somebody would love it, but it wouldn't be Jeff Nicole's bike anymore. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's very. Um, the other thing, oh, there's lots of things to talk about here, but mm. the other thing you notice is you as well as, as I work on my. So currently, the BMW's got the whole front end off it, so we've been replacing the taper bearings in the head, in the steerer, in the, in the headstock, mm. and um, and you kind of become more and more aware of just staring at the thing, and it's like archaeology. So somebody's done something there that's not standard. Why have mm. they done that? And as you work through the bike, you're going, okay, why have they done that? Mm. And um, and it goes back to what you were saying about the Vincent is you know it, w- it would have been done for a reason. Yeah. Um, a good example. I got a Bultaco Sherpa, so 1971 Sherpa with a 1973. So uh, the frame is a Sammy Miller Chrome uh, Type 92. Yeah. But the but the engine in it is a 250 when it should be a 350 from a couple of years later. So not matching numbers. Mm. And um, but then they're competition bikes, right? They would have been swapping the engines out all the time. Yeah. Um, but competition is different from restoration, isn't it? it? Is. So yeah, yeah. You try and find an unrestored Greaves Scottish. Yeah, yeah. I was looking last night actually after riding one. There's not many around. There's not many around. And uh, I mean, that's I suppose that's my thing. I just it's just that there isn't there isn't the correction work to do on the engineering front, and there isn't the urge to necessarily to to make it shiny again. Um, it's got its history written all over it, you know, and 
that's where I'm coming from. I do, I do have a pain threshold. You know, I, if I was going to use a bike regularly, it had, <laughs> had no paint on it at all. It would be criminal to, to not, in yeah. some way, preserve it. Now, there's an Excelsior next door that is a very rare bike that I don't, I don't ever want to end, but I would love to um, get it running again. And that will definitely need some paint on it because it has none at all. It has, it has barely any wheel rims and, and the like. It's complete and it's a it's a time warp machine, but it's been in a shed for with an earth floor with a leaky tin roof for the best part of 40, 50 years. And it needs sorting out, but it needs doing sympathetically. It doesn't need to be um, over-restored. So, come on then, what's the threshold for sympathetic? What does that look like to you? Uh, interesting question. And I've done shiny for people. Like yeah, the fella set's very shiny. That's you know, nice. I can, yeah. I can do it, but and that one again was past anybody's pain threshold. That was there wasn't a lot left of that bike. I really enjoyed the mechanical bits, and the fellow that owned it um, did uh, organise the paint and the chrome work and that sort of thing. And it was very satisfying to see it running again. The old fella that that uh, sat on it and rode it once or twice after his, his bike was, was recommissioned. He was, he was really, really pleased and it was a lot of satisfaction. But it, it's done now, that bike, and if you took it out and didn't add to this place and you put it into your garden shed at home, you would be fretting about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be hot and cold and, and, um, uh, and so on. And, uh, I can't see the point in worrying about something that you're passionate about. I, I, I know I'm odd, but... I don't know if you are. I think... But there's, there's a difference between... Some people... I mean, you see it with the auctions, right? The, uh, you know, the, the bottoms auctions and stuff. And clearly, these, some of the bikes, they're... What do they call them? Push miles. So, literally, they, they, were, they were brand new yeah, um, 25, 50 years ago. Yeah. And all they've been done is... All, they, all that's happened is they've been pushed around a museum or pushed to the latest auction. And they've never been started. They've never had oil in them and stuff like that. And I'm no, going, well, I'm sure that, about that. yeah, no. what's the point of that, you know? To be fair, I've got two very low mileage Velocets, but I intend to use them. I'm just waiting for my moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes, it's been a busy journey getting this up place up and running. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that. And when, you, when you say about your moment, though, so Guernsey is challenging because it's only you know, five by seven miles. And you got, I noticed when I was riding your Velocet that actually it's a bike with longer legs than Guernsey, really. It needs the yeah, open road. Yeah, 500 you know? prob probably is. That's why I think that this, uh, this, this angling of the local interest in Velocets towards the 350 is a better option for Guernsey. The 350 is a nippy little thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. But it's the size of a 500 and, and uh, it doesn't. You don't have to like slip the clutch until you're doing about 15 miles an hour in first. I mean, to be fair on that, that one you rode, it's got a close ratio gearbox. So it's supposed to be long in first and then yeah. close together as you go up through the other gears. Yes, Guernsey. It should be small bikes ridden hard, not big bikes struggling to get past traffic, choking themselves up. Yeah, agreed. We're off the subject of... Uh, well, no, you, I, th I think it's appropriate to wander off the subject because it's our podcast, so we can do whatever we want, right? So, I mean, I guess we'll come back to um, owning large. I, I, again, lucky I own large bikes and small bikes, and 
And so Ducati 950, which um, just hates Guernsey, everything boils, it just gets really annoyed. Mm. And I've got a little, um, uh, I've got a little Honda 300, which just loves Guernsey. It's just because you have to, you, you enjoy riding it because you're changing gears all the time and you're, you're using the engine properly and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's the same conversation, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. There's no point in having a great big bike in Guernsey. Um, so one of one of my moments on those two values that got very low mileage will, will be they're both 500s would be to to recommission them make sure they're right and then take them away yeah and then so some people might say well you're taking a bike with only 700 miles on one of them's got and you add a few thousand miles until you wipe the value off well what's the point in having it if you don't ride it agree it's not it's not an investment the first time we met we were on the boat going to France. We weren't on the boat. We were waiting in the little port cabin to get on the boat. So me, yeah. on the, wife on the boat. the writing on the wall. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, yeah. So, so I was, so modern Ducati, wife on the back, all the panniers, ready to go touring to France. Mm. Uh, Phil, you were going to a Velocet. That, that you, yeah. you rode the other day. So when you go to these Velocet meets in France, I mean, what, what do they talk about with Bacata Patina and uh, things? I don't know, they're French. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they like their food and their wine, so no, it's, something it's a lovely there. thing. Yeah. I, I bought that bike and I went on my own and I went, it was, I think it might have been late in the season actually. Yeah, it was, yeah. Because I remember riding an unknown bike, I'd bought it three weeks before, but I was so confident in the fellow that I bought it from. I set off down to the Loire and ended up riding in the torrential rain with the lights on and not having any trouble at all just making it into my hotel you only just bought that bike though hadn't you I had yeah Literally. I only bought it three weeks before and it, uh, just just a lovely bike that was um, looked after by a tool maker tool maker by trade he'd had it 30 plus years and it was a family bike before that so he knew it really well and a very sort of genuine honest chap and uh, I had a terrific time I quite like riding on my own, going for an adventure. You're allowed? Hmm. Yes. And was it the Velocet meet? Was it was the Velocet Club of France meet uh, at Samour, just south of Samour on the Loire. And you kind of sleep in dormitories and it's all disgusting, as the French do. <laughs> they just burp and fart. It's shared communal like facilities, it's just horrible. But it have such a good time. And um, and then there's the ride out, and I've struggled to keep up. They're quite perky riders, the French, particularly on the old stuff. You know, we we come from some very docile riding conditions. We do, yeah. And you you get out on these roads, and they know how to ride a lot of the French, which is probably true of all nations that have got bigger roads. But but yeah, we had a nice ride, and then at the end you set off back. And on the way back, I thought I'll see, I'll just see what this this bike can do is I've been tickling it up, being relatively gentle as it was unknown. I didn't want to break down in the middle of nowhere at the end of the season. I've never had any insurance breakdown cover. There's Martin turning up. Um, and uh, I spent about 10 minutes at 80 miles an hour on a dual carriageway um, on this thing and it just loved it. It was, it, it, it's one of those fantastic moments, you know, when a when a bike, you're in tune with the bike and the bike's singing and it's in its element and that. And it's supposed to be good for well over 100, these bikes. Yeah, indeed. But 80 was just sublime. And got back and, 
Is this one of those moments where you came around the corner looking like a god? Is that one of those? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just not go into that. It was just a, a cruel memory from yesterday. <laughs> Okay, I think we need to wrap up this uh, this yeah. podcast because we've got visitors. We've got, visitors. We've got over half an hour of uh, uh, footage. I don't know recording on here. Uh, so, so until next time, uh, this is uh, goodbye from from Tim and goodbye from Bye. Phil. Bye. Bye.